you know, as this week transpired and day by day, I was thinking, you know, Lord, I'm wondering what I could talk about today. And Monday, God puts these pieces, start putting these pieces together, and Tuesday, and then I see it again. I see the whole place where God's miracles started and just a powerful story. Welcome to I've Got a Story to Tell with Dan Skinkus, Season 1, Episode 4. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a while and, and you stumbled and fell. And um, you think there's no way back. Well, I just want you to think again because God loves you and never will leave you. And if you're in a church body and... Uh, you haven't found Jesus. You know, the Bible talks about that if we uh, confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ died for our sins, you'll be saved. It's quite a simple formulation of what God thinks about us. He doesn't make it difficult. If you walked away from God, I, I, I would just encourage you right now just to say this prayer with me. Lord, my life has been up and down with you, and uh, I want to come back. I want to come back home. So I'm lonely out here. Nothing's satisfying me anymore in this life but you, Lord. So just talk to him and confess that you need that. And that's as simple as it is. We all have failed, we all have stumbled. We all need the knowing part of us to be reinstated into Jesus. So back to the story. As our first tour, as I talked about before, we were entering into El Paso, Texas, from Anthony, Texas. We are so glad we hit Anthony, Texas. It was a long haul from Las Vegas to Anthony, Texas. Finally, we hit the Anthony, Texas borderline, and there we are. Another 100 miles, we reach El Paso, Texas, and um, we see a corn silo. And it was huge. It was the first thing on my right-hand side, it was a corn silo. And on the top, it said, Jesus saves. And I thought, man, these people are really on it. They really, you know, they really believe in Jesus. So we passed the corn silo, and we're looking for a Nazarene church where we have a commitment that night to speak to the youth. And we're pumped up because we come from a place where we had a club for kids with drug and alcohol addiction, and many of them found Christ, and we were so excited that we were going to come to this church. The pastor's out of town, but he gave us free reign in this Nazarene church to talk to the youth. And as always, my great expectations, you know, God's ways aren't my ways. And my expectations are always high. Oh, Lord, they're all going to get this. They're all going to find you. They're all going to have a life without addiction. So it's our time to preach and there's this huge parking lot in El Paso where uh, there's vans parked. There must be 
25 vans all parked in this huge parking lot and we get to stay there overnight in our RV. So we disconnect and uh, seven o'clock, the kids start showing up and probably 10 was all that showed up. And we do our presentation, we give them the gospel, we give them who we are, we give them the fact that we were addicted and now we broke loose from it. But there's not too much happening. It was sort of flatlined and sort of discouraging. Anyway, uh, we're ready to leave the parking lot, and the pastor comes back from where he was. What a great-looking guy. He was all together, had the suit, the tie, the whole thing. And uh, I asked him this question. And this is how God works in my life. I ask him a simple question. What, what's, up, what's up with these vans? Oh, he said, um, there are a bunch of people that are from this, different churches around El Paso. They wanted to park their vans here. And I said, yeah, free of charge. Just park all your vans. And each church had a van. And I said, well, what did he do? Uh, they go into Mexico. He says, and they go into Juarez, and then from Juarez, they go into the mountain regions of Mexico, really isolated. I said, uh, so what do they do? They present the gospel. He says, but let me tell you a story. He said, uh, about me. So I'm a Nazarene, been a Nazarene all my life. He said, and... Uh, we all sort of embrace the gifts of the healing, gifts of healing, and although we do believe it, but we don't purport it, and we don't uh, present it in church. So one of the pastors from the church, he said, hey, pastor, do you want to go with us to Mexico and see what's up? He goes, yeah, I think I do. And so the pastor says to him, uh, it's about a half hour of uh, what we want you to do and how you want what we want you to act because these are primitive people, very sensitive. They they spook quite easily. He said. Um, so he said he went to the uh, little school they had on how to present himself, and he said it was really quite simple. It was just not to offend anybody or aggress anybody they have to be saved or any of that and uh, he says so we drive through Juarez in the mountain region he says and we hit this flat spot and he said oh by the way uh, they told me that there's not a specific time they go all these churches get this message sort of from the Holy Spirit and they all call each other. He says, it's like a phenomenon and, and then they go. So, so everybody's rounded up and we're in a place. He said, I don't even know where it was. It was so primitive. <clears throat> he says, and they get these um, all the vans like the old West movies and they make this huge circle and they have all the equipment. They have the medicine with the uh, the not the medicine they had the food and the clothing and fire rings and everything that's needed and uh 
So they get there, he said, and we're sitting there and praying. Nothing's happening. Not, he, he looks around, there's not one person coming to this whole thing. That He said there had to be 50 of us there. Nobody. Another half hour goes by, he said, nothing. He's thinking, man, what are even, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, he said, he saw one dot. One dot in the, it was so far away, this little dot started moving. This could be a hard story to tell because it's powerful. <clears throat> Another dot. Pretty soon, this emergence of this flow of these little dots coming down the mountain. Pretty soon, 50 people, 100 people, all lined up, standing in line. Another 50 people, 150 people. Never saw anything like it. So this Nazarene boy was seeing something, and knowing something was going to happen. I could feel it, he said. said that he remembered this so clearly. This old man had this wound on his arm. I know, this is hard for the flesh to believe. He said, and this guy grabs a hold of it and prays. All of a sudden, his arm's healed. He said, he almost fell over. People are lining up with all these infirmities, blindness, they see. This wasn't TV or an evangelist on TV. This was the reality of God's power in the middle of a dusty field with people that couldn't speak English that were drawn by something that he didn't understand at the time. As the day went on, he said, people came up with all kinds of needs. Lung problems, they were healed. Uh, he said, he don't know what diseases they had, but they were healed. He says, that all day long, 150 people, they were there forever, praying for people and seeing the healings. And he said this to me. I don't care if you believe me, but this Nazarene boy knows about healing today as I stand here. He says, when God's power moved then, he said, it changed my life. It changed me to see the reality of the gospel being displayed to people that knew Jesus. So he says, after the day's over, he said to the pastor that, he said, that brought him there, he said, um, how do these people know that we're here? The pastor said, uh, they know Jesus is coming. They know somehow 
they know he's here. They know the living God is here. And they start coming down that mountain, he says. And we never can understand how they know, other than knowing that they're coming to see Jesus. That was amazing to me that, you know, I've learned one thing about God. Whenever I think about me, how good or bad I think, or what a failure I am, or what a success I am, has nothing to do with Jesus and what he did. Nothing at all. Because those people found that these people that prayed for him were just regular church folks. They weren't nothing. They weren't healers. They weren't special people. They just prayed in the name of Jesus. You're listening to I've Got a Story to Tell with Dan Skinkus. We'll be right back after these brief messages. For many people, the pandemic has been a time of resetting, reevaluating where they live, how they live, and where their lives are headed. It has been a challenge emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Many are asking questions about how to understand what has happened, what it means, and what they should do now. If that sounds familiar, and you would like to be a part of a community that has a message of hope, we invite you to check out First Presbyterian Church, Carson City. Our mission is to open the gospel to Carson City and beyond, and we would like to walk with you as you explore God's message of love in Jesus Christ. We are not perfect people. We are people who have good news to share with a world desperately in need of hope. Join us in person or via live stream on this YouTube channel each Sunday at 10 a.m. Welcome back to I've Got a Story to Tell with Dan Skinkus. You know, I mentioned a corn silo, and I'd like to go back and revisit it because it was such a uh, powerful sign from God you know, when you're on the road and you don't have a lot of money and you're going from one church to another and you're depending on love offerings to make it to the next place, uh, this sort of first trip across the United States, we see a corn silo in El Paso, Texas. Two years later, on the next tour, there it was. We came in El Paso and it looked like an old friend. Jesus saves. Thank you, Lord. And then we have an address of where we're supposed to do our first presentation, our first in El Paso. We don't know where it's at. And uh, we look it up, and finally we're navigating through the streets uh, right by the, um, you know, that river, I can't think of it, El Grande or whatever it is. But, um, we find where we're supposed to be, to preach the word of God to homeless people. And I'm thinking it's a big mission somewhere. We pull up in front of this corn silo. Like, what? What's going on, Lord? This young man comes out, well-dressed, nice car, introduces himself. So you're here to preach. 
go, yeah. Where's the homeless people? Oh, they're inside. So we go into this inner sanctum of the corn silo. It's beautiful. The walls are all done. It's like, and there's an elevator that takes you up to these rooms that surround this this, uh, corn silo, and there's people in the rooms. And there's a chapel downstairs. So we go in and we preach and they love us and we love them. It's a wonderful time with the homeless. And we're like, wow, this, this is really something else, Lord. You built this silo. And so the uh, young man starts talking to us. He says, you know, I'm a lawyer. He says, I belong to the um, Christian Businessmen's Association. He says, and the president uh, retired, and they left this all to me, the whole town. Uh, I'm the head of the Businessmen's Association, and they said, the first project we want you to do is take that old corn silo and uh, make it into a mission. He said, what? What? Yeah, that's what you got to do. So he said he couldn't believe it. He said um, he had meetings with other businessmen. I'd go, oh, yeah. We're, everybody was like in favor of building or remodeling this corn silo. Quite a project. <clears throat> Got to know him pretty well. We're ready to leave. Um, so he said, uh, oh, you consider yourselves evangelists, huh? Like in this tone that was like, oh, what's he getting ready to say? I thought, you know, I thought you were a good evangelist. <laughs> I thought you did a good presentation. I thought you, no, he said, uh, would you be willing to go anywhere to preach that gospel that you uh, preached in here? I go, and and these words came out of my mind. Yeah. He goes, uh, you got to leave your truck here. I'm going, what? Got to leave your truck here because if you go where where we're taking you, your truck, you'll never have your truck again. It'll be taken from you. I'm like, uh, sweat starting to come on my lip. Like, oh, where are you taking me? He said, get in the van. (laughs) So we're riding down El Paso, the border, the border, Mexico, Mexico, you got to be, what, Juarez, Mexico, so he said, uh, we go through the, get through the border on the other side, uh, I said, where are we going, he said, don't worry about it, you'll be all right, like, where are we going, Lord, where are you taking me, we pull we go past the barrio, and we're in the neighborhoods where all the gangs are, and their colors are, like, these guys are brightly uh, dressed in their colors, and each neighborhood we're going through is getting, like, less and more squalor and more gangs, and here we are, pull in to this place, look like a warehouse, an old dilapidated warehouse. So we go into the warehouse, and 
as soon as we walked in, there's this feeling of God's presence. It's like, you know, sometimes you walk into church and you can feel that spirit of God in this place. And, uh, and there's all these big dudes and tattoos and really scary looking guys, but they're all calm. They're all, and there's this kid playing a guitar. And he's the main manager of it. He's a Nazarene preacher. And he tells us a story about his parents who are missionaries in the hills of Juarez. And it didn't connect. It just was his parents. He says, yeah, I've been here all my life, he said, and... uh, God called me to take over this mission. He said, the thing about this mission is that uh, these people have been thrown out of every mission in El Paso because of their violent behavior, because of who they are. He said, and um, I said, but they're not the... He said, yeah, he said, I... He said, I don't know, I just played his guitar and these people, and they were so respectful for him, to him. They loved him. You could tell they loved him. And all these people, uh, we were getting ready to, they were getting ready to have a meal, and we were going to serve it with the people, with all of those people. So we were there, and these people coming through the line, you swear you were like, they were so calm and so respectful of us. And these other people on the other side of the line were respectful of them. And um, it's getting later in the day, and I'm like, man, I'm flying. It's like, Lord, you sent me here. And my fear was uh, crazy. I thought, man, my life is coming to an end, and I didn't even get out of the gate. And, but you showed me what love can do in this situation. So we're supposed to preach at 5 o'clock after the meal or 6 o'clock. They set this big, uh, we go in this huge room and there's chairs and everybody's sitting there and, you know, I get up with one of my sermons and, and all of a sudden, like five minutes into the sermon, This guy is screaming at the top of his voice. Help me, pastor. Help me, pastor. And he's saying something like in broken English, and I can't understand him. But there's a guy that took to us, a young uh, Mexican kid. He took to us, and he was like our friend, you know. And he said, I'm like looking at this guy. He goes, so this, uh, we're, we're trying to preach in his guys. And uh, he's in a wheelchair. And he got bottles of pills on his lap. And uh, I'd go so far into the sermon to do it again. Finally, I, and the kid came over to me. He said, no, no, no. He's okay. He's okay. He said, he just got from the VA. And he says he knows If you pray for him, he won't need those pills. He told me. 
he can't speak English, he told me. And I'm like, Lord, what a responsibility that is to take a man off his pills. I mean, to have, to just think. I don't know his problem. I don't know why he takes pills. I know So, I said, okay, all right, okay. Let me finish my sermon and I'll preach. And as soon as I said that, the kid said something to him and he calmed down. He just calmed down. Just way calm. We finished his sermon, gave the altar call. And, uh, came over to him and he said to this kid in Mexican uh, in Spanish have him pray for me I don't want any more pills in my life so start praying for him and I will tell you something was happening I don't know what was happening but he calmed way down. I saw him like a different person, but the same person. It was a weird, weird. And his continents start coming. And he took those pills, and he gave it to the kid, and he said, throw them away. Back, throw them away. And I said to the young man, I said, ask him how he feels, what's going on. The young man said, oh, he said he's fine. You know, none of it makes sense. And it's supposed to not make sense. It's God's power that's unleashed in my life at times when I thought, What's, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Maybe fear, fear overwhelming uh, thoughts of, oh, I'm never going to get out of here. The fear overwhelming thoughts of, I'm not going to be able to do anything good here. But I will tell you, if you're stumbling with your faith, if you're stumbling and thinking God doesn't have any purpose for you because you found him, I'm telling you right now that God will use you if you're available for him. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be uh, well-versed on scriptures. All you have to do is know the power of Jesus Christ in your life and use it when you're called to use it. You're listening to I've Got a Story to Tell with Dan Skinkus. We'll be right back after these brief messages. Friends, what a joy it has been Sunday after service to be able to enjoy fellowship together, to be uh, able to linger and enjoy one another's company. Received this note from Linda Ritter about that fellowship time. She's been instrumental in putting together the teams that have uh, helped be the hospitality for that. And she wrote this, the pandemic is waning, fellowship is happening. This Easter Sunday, for the first time in over a year, we were able to spend some time visiting with one another and enjoying some food and beverages. 
all outdoors on a joyous day. And we just say amen to that because God blessed us with an extraordinary weather day on Easter Sunday so that we would be able to enjoy one another. The smiles beaming from everyone's face was a beautiful sight to behold. We plan to continue enjoying fellowship after worship services. And she writes, while gathering outside was delightful, the weather is not always cooperative. You may, those of you who are veteran Nevadans will probably be, yeah, that's right. Well, the return of time for fellowship provides a great opportunity for service. Understanding that many hands make light work, Linda is asking for volunteers to assist with the setup, the providing food, uh, and drinks and cleanup. Welcome back to I've Got a Story to Tell with Dan Skinkus. So that's been my life. I have many more stories how God can use um, addicted people, college people, Pastors, laymen, people that you thought couldn't be used, the lesser than, seen homeless people minister the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring people to Christ. I've seen people baptize people that shouldn't be baptizing people, that when they were baptized, they felt the presence of God in their life. So that's my uh, story. And every time I tell one, it amazes me because I was there and I didn't expect a thing to happen. I didn't go there for things to happen. I went there out of obedience to God and he did the rest of it. Thank you. I've Got a Story to Tell is a podcast of PresbyPod, a production of Aunt Betty's Studio a ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Carson City.